Hello everyone, I'm Patrick Connor, and welcome to the Hannibal Boxing Podcast. Many boxing fans already know about Hamilcar Publications, the publishing company specializing in books about boxing, hip-hop, and true crime, and of course Hannibal Boxing, its website, more focused on boxing writing. This podcast is the logical audio addition to those, and thus far I've fortunately been able to chat with authors, writers, hip-hop artists, and even former fighters. On this episode, I welcome Christian Giudice author of Hamilcar's latest book, Macho Time, The Meteoric Rise and Tragic Fall of Hector Camacho. Thank you so much for being on, Christian. Oh, yeah, I'm excited. Thank you. For starters, now, if someone were to say Google Christian Giudice, they would obviously see a string of boxing books you've written. So why the gravitational pull toward boxing? Well, I, th- I think when I was when I was younger, I was always um, interested in uh, connecting with my father. And one of the ways I was able to connect with my father was go- going to the fights in Atlantic City when I was younger. And, you know, whether that was, you know, Tim Witherspoon early on, uh, we'd go to uh, Ar- Ar- Arturo Gatti when he was really young. And then, and then we'd see some of his fights later on, some of the battles with uh, Ivan Robinson. Uh, so we, we would go pretty regularly throughout the throughout the year. And I, I just became, I don't know, uh, engrossed in the sport. And at that time, everybody was, you know, reading box scores. I mean, when you're when you're that young, you have the you have the time to get intrigued and, and then invested, invested in these sports and boxing, um, as well as some other sports were things that I just I wanted to follow. And this one kept me close to my father at the time. Um, and, and I just loved being a part as soon as you walk in, the, the feeling of being a part of a boxing event was, was really enticing to me when, when I was, when I was younger. So I started to get the ring magazines and, um, started to read them pretty closely. And I, I don't know, there was, there was something about, um, just watching, especially the, the uh, as, as a young kid watching, uh, Duran, watching Camacho, um, watching, other guys, uh, as far as, you know, Gotti, I, I really um, fell in love with, especially see, seeing him fight live, Roy Jones. So watching these guys evolve, really, um, I really took to that. And I think one of the things that when I started to get into sports writing a little bit more and seeing that that, that could be like an avenue for me, uh, then I, then the boxing craze on the Internet started to open up, especially and I got an op- I got the opportunity to write for Fight News. But even before that, you know, I, I started to see that writing about boxing was unlike writing about another sport and um, and just the intimacy that they had with with the fighters, especially, you know, reading some some stuff, whether that was at the time, uh, maybe Nigel Collins. Um, you know, I, I just was able to start to understand that maybe I could do something like this for a living. And that really excited me. So when inter- when the boxing, um, a lot of those avenues opened up outlets opened up on the internet and I, I jumped at that and I started to write for fight news and cover fights in Atlantic city. But, uh, to be honest, you know, my love for boxing started with my connection from, with my father and then grew from there. I think, I think I became a little bit more, uh, my identity started to be fused with boxing even after that. And especially into my writing. So I, I, I hope that answers your question, but I think the, the, the idea here is that I started to see I started to fall in love with boxing and then through sports writing I realized boxing could be um a real focus for me. Well not to drag down in any way what you just answered of course but the subjects of the boxing books you've written 
particularly Alexis Arguello and Hector Camacho, but I guess to a lesser extent, Wilfredo Gomez, there's no shortage of tragedy there, and it doesn't really take a detective to sniff that out. So was that intentional or by design? The uh, tragedy, um, I, I, don't, I don't know if the, it's fair to say that tragedy drew me to any of those um, boxers. You know, I, I don't think at first I, I recognized um, uh, that that behind every, you know, boxer's story, there is there is that, that tr- tragic proportion to it, some more than others. But at first I was drawn not to the, the tragic aspect because – I guess I was a little bit naive to that early on. Um, I, I just think the idea of I, I was when I watched these fighters, whether it was Duran or Guayo, later with Wilfredo Gomez, early on with Camacho, I started to see that they were doing things that were that just separated them from other fighters. Whether it was, and I, I particularly look at movement, but movement, speed, um, Power, but power which was generated through combinations. Not that I, I wasn't really drawn to one punch power. I like to see these guys who, you know, um, through, throughout the course of a fight, through through the attrition comes the power. Um, defense, you know, all these little nuances. I felt like I was able to see that because I had watched so much boxing, because I had been able to study videotapes and 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 really look at it, look at a, a fighter um, as far as their style. Um, so the first thing that I get is they have to have that that ability to kind of separate themselves and distance themselves from other fighters. And Duran, I mean, Duran had that. I mean, you know, you could see that in every single fight unless he wasn't in condition for a fight. Arguello had that. Um, later on, Gomez. Um, now, I, I knew nothing about Wilfredo Gomez. He was the first when I first started writing about Wilfredo Gomez. I, I just I had no you know, context for him. And then I started to watch his fights and I was like, what was I missing the whole time? You know? So there was that, that component of that, but behind each of those stories, there's this tragic, sad reality, um, that some have been able to overcome and some have not. Um, and I think that backstory maybe made them more intriguing to readers, but I don't think that I was driven or, or, um, or anything led me to that, that part of their, their storyline. Um, and I think that when, when you look at Duran and you look at uh, Arguello and you look at Gomez, sure they had some similarities, but their stories, backstories were so different. And I think they, they lent themselves you know, to different uh, attractive pieces for, for the reader. So uh, yeah, I think all, all boxing stories have that, uh, that tragedy built in, but when I looked at them, I'm looking at what do I love about them? Not what makes them, you know, equally, um, whether that is, um, attractive for the reader. I just thought, you know, the main thing was, how am I going to tell that story and do it? Um, in a lot of these cases without degrading the fighter or destroying their legacy. Like I, I felt, I found that was the hardest part so it was more of you know oh look i get a chance to write about a fighter who who is beloved by by you know thousands millions and then um but also have to tell their story in a way that that's fair and justified to them so i I think it was more of that like the writing aspect was i thought about the tragic side but as far as a a fan and a spectator of boxing i'm just like you know here i am giddy right getting to cover each one of their fights not cover but you know, write about each one of their fights and 
looking at it through a lens where as I get older, I'm able to notice little, little idiosyncrasies about them um, in each in each fight. So uh, so I, I think that I think that Patrick, that that's the main thing is sure, there's the tragic component. But how am I going to shape that for the reader um, is the most important part. So you mentioned seeing fights in person when you were younger and clearly having an attraction to boxing and affinity for it. And it seems like there are many examples of authors uh, of notable boxing books that is actually being just kind of writers with a focus other than boxing. Do you think that that fandom lends to a better or perhaps more interesting perspective in your writing? Uh, you, you, absolutely. I mean, you know, 100% when I look at thinking about some of the experiences I had at, um, you know, boxing matches, I don't necessarily think that, you know, a lot, a lot of times, you know, we weren't, we weren't close to the action. I mean, later on when I was able to cover those fights, yeah, I, was, I had an upfront vantage point. But later on, I mean, early on with, with my dad and my friends, I mean, we'd be watching and, and you know, trying to get glimpses of the fighters. I mean, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't always the best seats, but a lot of times we had, we had good seats. But I think what you're, what you're getting at is, is a really important part. Like I'm there, but I'm, I'm hearing like, like I'm hearing other people, you know, uh, advice and, and the, um, the things that I'm hearing out around me kind of shapes a little bit of, of what I'm seeing, especially when I'm young and I'm not really sure what I'm seeing, right? I have to get used to, used to this and, uh, through that, through that lens. So I think as a fan and being there, it gives you this perspective that allows you to maybe look at something from a, a uniquely different angle. Um, and, and I think that especially if you, if you, you know, if, if, if you've only seen fights on TV, right, you don't get that. And, but, but it's also, I mean, how, how good, of, how good are you at delivering that? And, and that, that's the main thing. I mean, I can see, I can see what I see, but it's important for me to take that back and then process it and then shape it for, for the, uh, for the reader. And I think, so, so those two things work in confluence when, when you look at, you know, what I'm, what I'm seeing and then what I'm giving, because, you know, like, like you see, you know, I'm going to a fight and another guy goes, if I see, he sees, we see completely different things. But I think once you sit down and once I'm able to kind of shape that, especially, especially with a lot of the things that we saw with, um, with, with my books, I think that, that having that perspective early on was able to kind of give me a, a, um, a different way of 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 delivering that to the to the reader and i I don't want to say saying it would be educated would be unfair it's just different and and i think that um that as far as a writer i i I actually think that's my strength is being able to to allow people to relive those fights and and to and to to um you know to read about them again because it could be very boring for them if i just you know give them kind of you know the breakdown of the fights i have to i have to present you know, different, um, different styles, different techniques, and then also add in some, some narrative in there. So, um, yeah, I, I think, I think it gave me a different perspective, not necessarily a better one, but allows my readers to kind of open up the, the fight scenes for them. Not to give boxing fans too much credit, I suppose, but boxing fans tend to be a very rabid bunch, sometimes with a bit of a discerning eye, but on 
various media, I think it comes across when it's created by someone who's a boxing fan and someone who can convey the ridiculousness that most boxing fans seem to acknowledge. And for that matter, it's obvious when something boxing-related is made by someone who's seen approximately two or three professional boxing matches. <laughs> I think, I think, yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, um, yeah, boxing boxing fans are the most educated fans. Um, I mean, it's not even close. I mean, we you go you go to you go to some of these, uh, you know, you go anywhere in social media, and I mean, they're, they'll take you through the. You know, the breakdown and just as an example, I mean, talking about Lomachenko, I mean, they, they know, you know, I, I look look on online and, and um, the analysis of Lomachenko is just, you know, uh, uh, unbelievable. And, you know, like, and, and this is not from a boxing forum either. I mean, this is just you're, you're absolutely right. You, you can tell uh, and you talked about films, um, books. I mean, I have to be as, as a writer. I have to be equally as uh, very balanced in, in, you know, understanding, but also, you know, adding adding a certain flair to um, to what happened in a certain fight. But I have to understand, like, you know, I'm going to be uh, someone's going to be meticulously looking through each of these, you know, parts, whether that's a fight scene or a backstory. I mean, you know, and I think that um, when you when you look at boxing fans, you know, the investment is is all in and and um I, I wouldn't say it's yeah actually I would say it's a little bit different than how other fans I mean you know you attach yourselves to the to the passion and and the and the love for these boxers and um and it's hard to uh to to imagine that but but you know every word you write someone is reading this and understands the nuances of what you're writing about so yeah, I mean, I, I would say like there's that passion that, that boxing fans have, but that that's also added pressure um, because I know that each book that I write has to be better than the last. I mean, someone else or else someone out there is going to tell me that it's not. I mean, so I, I think there's that component too. Again, going to these figures, you've written about Roberto Duran, Alexis Arguello, Wilfredo Gomez, and now Hector Camacho. These are all very prominent people where they're from, and in some ways, they're the kind of hopes of a nation resting on their shoulders kind of characters. So did that make you feel as though there was extra pressure to get these stories right or to tell them a certain way? There is, you know, I, I, not when I'm writing them, I, I don't feel that pressure. I'm, I'm feeling the, the, the intense pressure of, of you know meeting deadlines and and um, and get, getting to the right people and and um, setting up interviews and recording like I, I think there's the pressure of, of writing the book that is unwieldy I mean it really is uh, especially especially with children so I, I, I've um, but I think that the major thing is that when you talk about um, the pressure to get it right is starts coming at the end of the book when you know you have about a month or two um to get the uh, the final manuscript in and you have all of these different interviews set up and 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 then you have people coming out of the woodwork who you haven't you haven't even thought about and now you get their contact i mean i, I think so so i'm thinking to myself like i have all these names here who mean something to this particular fighter whether it's camacho or duran or arguello 
And I have to, you know, I have to think to myself, do I, do I want to give them a voice in the book or have I not developed, you know, is it too late to develop them? And I think this particular book um, created, you know, there were a lot of pressures in that particular regard. But when, when I say, you know, when you think about it, you know, and I think Duran was probably the, the most, the, the pressure to get it right. I mean, there, because I'd never written a book before, you know, that, that's, that's, um, that was more pressure than anything to know what he meant to the Panamanian people and that there hadn't, you know, this was the, the first book out on, on Duran. Yeah. I'm, I'm thinking to myself, like the, the legacy, the, uh, you know, um, the connection that he had with his people, you know, what he meant to his people. I mean, none of the, the, the next three, uh, I, I think Arguello was probably the closest um, because, you know, there was that, there is that also that factor in of, you know, him coming back to Nicaragua after, you know, leaving for so long. So there was these, these, you know, different narratives um, that were, were connecting and going across. I mean, so I, I think Arguello was a little bit different than Duran, you know, Duran was Panama through and through. And then Arguello, which was, you know, more polit, there's a little political uh, storyline of this. Um, so I, I don't know. The, the the pressure with Arguello was more of, wow, this is not just, you know, someone who is beloved by his people, but, you know, I have to get the political aspect right um, in order to, to, to do him justice. And then I have to look at um, the way he died and 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 somehow navigate those waters. So when you talk about getting it the right way, I think it's uh, the right way is di- a different way for each fighter. And, and, and I'll say it again. I mean, Duran was, you know, writing a book for the first time and and then thinking, you know, you don't writing a book for the first time. You don't think about those things. And and sometimes you don't think about those things until after the fact. And I I was learning as I was going along. And then Arguello, um, came about after, after his death. And, um, and then, you know, the book came, the book came to fruition after it so you know like i said there's there's three different storylines that have to get right and then wilfredo gomez you know you know like you said you know maybe not as well known obviously as as duran and arguello um but i'm i I was like writing it with him so there is there's also that component of saying you know what i have to get it right like i want to do you justice but also be fair to your legacy and at the same time so there's there's a lot of different things um that are surfacing here and sometimes you don't think about them until um until later on sometimes uh you you, as you go through and you're um you're reviewing edits you know you're going through some some different things that whether you know you can do do differently at that particular point or have to or you can't you can't touch because it's already set in stone i mean there's a lot of different things and then and then camacho there's um it wasn't you know it's it's a little bit different you know it's it's more of the focus is spanish harlem not so much panama nicaragua or puerto rico i think there's this puerto rican component and then there there's this this narrative in spanish harlem and the spanish harlem one is really an overwhelming one because you have so many people who who grew up during that time idolizing hector and and for me you know you have to figure out how do you shape his greatness in the 
you know, in the progression of his of his um, his resume and of his, you know, of his fights. Um, so I, I don't know if it, you know, it was that that was, that felt a little bit differently than what I did with the previous uh, three fighters um, with with Gomez. And I, and I guess Gomez is the best comparison because Gomez was, you know, um, by and large announced as the uh, the best Puerto Rican fighter ever. So, you know, those two, if anything, those two, you, you see a comparison between those two, because when Hector was coming up, you know, he wanted he wanted to eclipse Wilfredo Gomez. You know, he didn't you know, he, he didn't want to hear anything about Wilfredo Gomez. This, this was he, he wasn't the next Wilfredo Gomez. He was the first Hector Camacho. So um, I, I think um, when you say get it right, um, the pressures are different for every every single book along the way. Focusing in on Hector Camacho a little more, uh, his death was recent enough that many boxing fans and, and perhaps others remember at least some of the circumstances with the possible criminal links and at least partially obscured details of their cases, I, I definitely felt a sort of similarity between Arguello's and, and Camacho's in, in that regard. Do you feel like that made it more difficult to navigate toward the end of Camacho's life to really understand what happened or get to the bottom of what happened toward the end? Yeah, uh, I did. I mean, you know, it's a it's it's a it's a question that I, that I've thought about a lot um, because Hector you know well it, it's hard let me start by saying I don't know if I could compare Alexis and and Hector in the same way because Alexis's was really difficult in the sense that nobody was going to talk about it especially you know um, especially since it was it was a uh, the political uh, landscape was really difficult to overcome in um, in Nicaragua, and and um, few people were willing to go on record to talk about it at length. But I was really proud of the way I was able to kind of persevere and, and get get to the bottom of, of of what I could regarding you know his death and um, and you know. The, the brutality of it and and trying to trying to lay out the the uh, the details as best I could um, and that, you know so you think about that's so delicate there I mean you, you don't want to you don't want to you know uh, that that's when you don't want to say the wrong I mean say the wrong thing I mean there, there's times when you think to yourself you know I, I don't have the, the resources for this and so I was I was a little bit concerned about that, but I'm proud of the way I was able to to use, especially you know, speaking Spanish and and and, and getting some interviews that I wouldn't have otherwise gotten uh, with journalists um, or you know whether it was a journalist or a um, or someone who was directly involved with the case. But um, that was that was very fragile. I, I just uh, you know. Um, I knew I knew something awful had happened, but but I didn't. But but I wanted to be very fair in the way that I that I gave those de details to my to my reader. Um, with with Hector, it was it's a little bit different scenario. Um, when when you think about when you think about Alexis, you think about him intertwined in this political 
you know, juggernaut of, of like, he, you know, here he was, you know, he com- kind of coming back and, and being, you know, kind of regaining uh, Managua again and his people being loved again, but just way over his head politically, despite having a good political mind. Just, you know, these, these guys were sharks and he, he had no ability to kind of have a voice. He had no voice. So he was silenced. So I had to convey that. And then with Hector, I'm thinking completely differently. You know, I, I don't think of his death first. When I, when I wrote the book, I, I just didn't think of his death first. Because with Hector, I, I felt like there was this sadness. With, with, with Arguello, there was anger. The tone was anger and resentment. And with Hector, there was this just sadness that, that his life had ended the way it did. And I didn't feel the the same urgency to revisit those details and try to figure something out that 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 maybe wasn't there. And rather and, and I would rather focus on, you know, the way he lived his life, not the way he died. And and I and I thought initially that that was like a cop out. But since I was connecting with with since I was his son as you know, as as, you know, kind of like a guide. Um, and we were, we were working well off each other. I wanted to show his the, the the his life through the eyes of his son. I felt like that was giving the readers something that 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 I couldn't give. Um, and so I, I think with with his death, it wasn't so much solving it as much as you know gi- giving them giving the reader the you know how he died but showing how it affected the people who loved him was more important than say with Arguello you know coming to some re- resolution as much as I could with with how he died because it was so controversial you know when people when people think about Hector I, I don't I don't and you know and this could be the the wrong conclusion here but I I don't think many people are Harping on, you know, whether whether the uh, whether they have uh, apprehended um, the men or men who killed man or men who killed um, Hector Camacho. Um, but with with Arguello, I think when people think about the way he died, their first initial reaction is they killed him. And, and he was killed. Uh, there's no way it was suicide. So, you know, there is that that's how I read the situation. And. Because heck, because I had so much information coming in on Hector, I mean, it, the, the the information on Hector, the research was so much more involved than it was with Arguello, just because of the nature of who they were, um, and and I think because Hector was was primarily for the most part living here in um, in um, in the United States. And Arguello and Duran, you know, maybe lived in the States for a bit for a period of time, but mostly lived in Nicaragua and Panama. It was much more difficult getting information about them. So so, Patrick, the the one thing I would say as far as, you know, when you when you look at Hector is I think that he had so much spirit and 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 love for people and and. Um, and was you know was so um, vivacious in the way he lived. I, I didn't want to spend too much time on on the way he died. Well, with Macho Time, and I can look over on my bookshelf and see it. It's a ridiculously gorgeous book. It's flashy, 
eye-catching. And I mean, really, it's it's Hector Camacho, or at least what people know of him. Yeah, um, and and, if, and I think I think if you look at the book, it's just um, I'm 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 so uh, you know uh, so excited to to be um, to be working with uh, you know you look at these guys you know um, Andy and, and uh, Kyle have given so much support um, for this book, and then when I when I got it, I was just blown away. I mean. That's the pressure. I mean, when, when you put together a book like this, and you know, have I done, you know, have I done, you know, Hector's story justice? I mean, that that's that, that's what I'm really concerned about here. Is is someone who knew him going to say, okay, is are they going to read the book and say, okay, that's Hector Camacho, you got it, like that? That's what I, you know, that's what I, that's what I really was hoping to achieve with this book. And then you have this book, and it's and every you know every part of it has this, you know, you know, it, it's Hector through and through. I mean, how do you, you know, how do you achieve that? I mean, it's, it's, it's something that, uh, that, that was, you know, we talk about, you know, having something in your hands and just being ex- so, so proud of it. You know, it's hard to express that to someone. Um, but, um, but when someone gets it, you know, someone gets it and they say, whoa, you know, this, this feel like, like what, what you said, it, it, it just, um, it makes me feel so good, but, but it, 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 to know that, you know, so many people had, had a huge part in this, right? I mean, it's, it's, uh, you know, the cover looks amazing. You know, the, the photos are great. I mean, so I'm asked, you know, the thing I ask myself is what did you do? What did you do to give layers to Hector Macho Camacho to, you know, to humanize him, to make him seem something other than what people saw, just saw in the ring. Um, did you achieve that? You know, by, by the by the end of that book, are people feeling that this is it, it touched them in some way that that's the main thing um, for me? You know, I think that the boxing aspect people can go through and the statistics, everybody, you know, everybody can can read the statistics, everyone can watch the fights. But are you going to be moved by the by the end of this book? That's that's what I'm concerned about. So. You know, when when I when I hear, you know, if if I hear something from Hector Jr. saying, you know, you know, that's my father, or hear something from a family member, you know, telling me, you know, you know, there, my my father was uh, was was a complex guy, and I think I think you tapped into a lot of those different um, aspects of who he was. So, you know, the, the, when we talked about pressures, I mean, it's it's a pressure of um, opening up something that's that's that. Um, that looks like this and saying, okay, let's, let's, let's start this. And then, and then from that point starting to see, okay, Oh, the sensitive Hector. Okay. This is the brash Hector. Okay. This is, this is the affectionate, uh, father. Oh, this is the, uh, this is the Hector is a little bit, uh, you know, reckless. So, I mean, are all those things built into this particular book that that's what really concerns me. And that's what I'm, I'm hoping that people will, uh, will pull from this. Who were some of the other characters in this book who, who sort of wind up playing a supporting or helping role in the narration? You know, um, well, you know, uh, his son was um, the most valuable. Um, you know, Hector Jr. Um, was an open book uh, as far as his father. Um, so that, that that's the first one. Um, the uh, the. As far as the fighters themselves, Sugar Ray Leonard, okay, um, 
really you start to see, especially Sugar Ray Leonard, who was, you know, at the time um, when Hector was coming up, he was, you know, he was he was covering um, covering Hector and and um, and just a uh, the support there. I mean, even though that Hector was being, you know, was going to be the next Sugar Ray, I think Sugar Ray Leonard was able to step back and 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 really, you know, say, hey, this this kid's got everything. This this kid's got it all. Um, but at the same time, also be wary. You know, I remember him. You know what Sugar Ray Leonard was told. Hector was like, "You just have to, you know, watch yourself. You just have to, you know, um, kind of giving him, you know, the understanding that, you know, you you have all this talent. But who are you going to be? And I, I want you to be great. But at the same time, you have to understand that, you know, that you're going to have to cut back on some of the, you know, things that are going on in your life. Uh, Ray Mancini. Um, who, who I, you know, uh, gr- have a relationship with through the other books. Um, he, he, he was extremely gracious in giving his insight into his fight with, uh, Camacho, as far as some journalists, uh, Larry Merchant, Al Bernstein, um, Steve Farhood, uh, their voices, I think, add balance to the, um, to the book itself. When you see, you know, you have the personal side, you have the professional side, then you have the you know, the analytical side and just looking at looking at him during that particular time period and going, taking me back to that time and saying, oh, OK, well, the presence he had was just, you know, unbelievable, um, even compared to some of the other fighters who were who were, um, you know, who, who were well known or who were just coming up at that time or becoming popular. Um, so those, those were some of the, the main figures of, of the book itself. Um, so, you know, you know, the, the merchants, the Bernsteins, the, the Farhoods, um, and then you also had, you know, fighters like Greg Haugen, um, the, uh, Iran Barkley, who was a friend of, uh, Hector Camacho's, um, and then you also, you know, um, but, and, and I'm not even including a lot of the people from, from, you know, his mother, um, you know, gave, uh, some really good insight into the young Hector. And then are you talking about when Hector got older, then you have guys like, um, you know, his, his, you know, not uh, people who were part of his team um, and um, the uh, Jerry Villarreal or a good friend like Tim um, Sanati. These are these are all people who were part of the um, part of the book. Vinny Pazienza, um, Harold Weston. So I. I think there are a lot of different uh, Jimmy Montoya. Sorry, did not mention Jimmy Montoya. So everyone provides a different um, kind of uh, angle for who Hector was at different points in his life. And I think um, writing the first uh, the first couple of books, I recognized that, you, you know, you, you want to be able to have this diversity and, you know, kind of formulate, you know, what your reader is going to think about about a, a, a fighter. And I tried to do that the best I could in, in this book by taking people from all avenues of his life. And um, so, you know, when, when you get down to the, you know, the main thing was how do, how do I how do I express how good he was in his prime? And I think, you know, for, for my fight analysis, uh, I, I tried to do that through my fight analysis, but then you have guys who were seeing him come up, who are now speaking to him, you know, uh, coming up. And then, um, you know, as he got into the middle of his career, you know, after after being great, after 1985 to like 1992, you're looking at a fighter who stepped back a little bit. Um, 
who was still a very, 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 very good fighter, but not the guy he was in, in 1983, 1984, 1985, 1986. So I wanted to bring that in. Uh, you know, that when you look at him from that vantage point, it might be a completely different way of seeing Hector. And then you have people who kind of saw him just, uh, you know, the way he lived his lifestyle. And so I, so for me, there's the pressure of doing that without without allowing that to um, overwhelm the book, um, per se, because we all know he, um, he struggled outside the ring. So I wanted to put that and, and frame that in a way that is um, – that is controlled in a sense. I, I don't want, you know, um, I, I, I wanted this to be a, a book about Hector and all the things that he achieved, all the things that he struggled with. All right. All the uh, barriers he overcame. All right. But I want it to move. I, I don't want, I don't want people or the readers to get stuck on a certain, um, part of his life. So, and I feel like, like with each book, I, I kind of get that get to see that a little bit more. Um, you know, where does it become stagnant? Where where do I have to to shift this? Where do I need to take out? Where are there t- too many perspectives kind of put into one place? Um, so I, I think with the with the team of um, editors um, that uh, that Kyle and Andy uh, presented me really helped me to uh, kind of see a lot of things that maybe I didn't see as a writer. That actually leads me nicely into my next question here. You've had four different boxing books published, and many writers have found out the hard way, I suppose publishers too for that matter, that though boxing writing is very tough to beat historically, quality-wise, so forth, it can be tough to get books published or find ideas. What would you say to maybe a young author or a potential author or writer looking to write a book about boxing? I think people come up um, a, a lot. And, and um, the, the, the first thing, well, especially after the, um, after the Duran book, it was really, it was really hard um, to try to get that next book published um, because I, I didn't really, I didn't really have a, frame of reference for kind of what, what the next step was. Um, because after the Duran book, I'm, I'm kind of thinking, you know, wh- where do I go from here? Um, and then, you know, for me, I mean, it was always kind of labor intensive. Like I, I, I wrote, for, first of all, I wrote a proposal. Then I went to, uh, looked at all the boxing books and kind of see, wh- you know, where does my, where does my, um, where does this book fit in there? And also thinking about, has, has anybody written about this book? So when I, when I did, you know, Duran, Arguello, um, and Gomez, the one thing I'm thinking about, I, I, I want to stay at American focus. I, I didn't want to change that. And I think part of that was being in Panama and seeing all the little, the little stories that, that had, uh, that I, that I witnessed in those small little boxing gyms in Panama that nobody knew about. Th- those little things like, uh, you know, we see a fighter like Ricardo Cordoba. I, I saw him growing up in Panama and, you know, I, I didn't want to get away from that. So I tried to recreate that in Nicaragua and then um, in, and in Puerto Rico. And every time I, I published a book, the first thing that I would do is write that proposal. Then I'd see where it fits in. If it, if it has, you know, is, is there going to be um, an audience for this? 
And Arguello, um, I thought, was a big enough um, figure and, and then lived long enough in the United States. That, and I, I just felt like that was a natural fit after um, Duran. So the, after that, after I write the proposal, then I start sending it out. And then I start using some of the contacts that I've made in, in the sport to better understand, um, to kind of better understand, is this going to be feasible? And, you know, and I don't think at, at, at the time, you know, I, it's not just Arguello. I mean, I'm, I'm sending these out to, you know, there are probably two other fighters who I'm trying to do, write books about. So it's not just, you know, kind of focusing on one, one particular fighter because I know how difficult that can be and how quickly it can be rejected. Um, so, uh, so I guess the, the main thing is writing the proposal, all right, going to see where does it fit in the context of boxing books, looking at that fighter and thinking to yourself, can, can I justify that, it ha- that this particular fighter has an audience? Um, and then, you know, after, after that, then you, um, then you start seeing, you know, whether seeing these evolve. And, and I think with, with Wilfredo Gomez, you know, for him, I just, I, I contacted him directly i mean he you know at, at the time and, and so that 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 was very unique um because you know he still he, he was still alive and, and and um and willing to hear my proposal and um so so that was different than any of the other ones um with hector you know the um i started talking with uh with kyle and andy uh up in 2018 about that so at the time i already had a proposal ready for um for uh, Hector, in the book on Hector, um, so I was I was I was starting to send that out, and um, and I remembered back to when I was you know in in the 1980s when you you know you're taping fights and I just remembered you know I looked up and I you know Camacho was the first guy I ever you know thought about taping with Johnny Sato and and Melvin Paul and Louis Loy so I already had a frame of reference for Camacho before I started thinking about the the book itself. Um, but I, I think there's a lot of things that are unorthodox that go into um, publishing a book. And but the most important thing is, is that level of patience. You know, there, there are things that are going to happen. There are things people are going to tell you that they, they don't want to do it. They want they want this amount of money. And I think is, you know, you, by forging through that, you may not have the, the subject you want. Right. But. Um, you're going to find something in whatever book comes to fruition that you're going to love. And, and um, if even if it wasn't like the first choice in some of those books, I came to learn something or gain relationships that I wouldn't have otherwise gained. And I think that's that's the most important thing is that it's not so much the publishing of the book, but all those cool relationships that I develop throughout the book. And then being able to, you know, share that book with them is is is, is a pretty um, wonderful experience. Well, it's, it's great advice. Not forgetting the human and perhaps non-work side of a lot of this. Hey, Christian, thanks so much for being here on the show and talking about Macho Time and your other books. I think readers are really going to enjoy your take on Hector Camacho. Thank you so much for having me. This is uh, this has been really great. Um, to be able to talk about about the books with you and uh, you've been very generous in um, in sharing this time and, and allowing me to kind of uh, give a voice and uh, and detail the the process of writing uh, this book so I, I really appreciate it and we very much appreciate Christian's insight into the life of Hector Camacho 
you know, so often in boxing, it's easy to focus on the promotional push, the marketing blitzes, or in short, the outward burst of energy. So many fighters put out, even a number of people who weren't boxing fans in the 80s and 90s remember Macho Time, though, or they remember the Hector Camacho spectacle. But sometimes we need a reminder that there's a human underneath all of the flair and costumes, and that's exactly what Christian Judice provided, of course with the help of Hector Camacho's son Hector Jr. for Macho Camacho himself in Macho Time. So visit HamilcarPubs.com and click on Macho Time to see how you can order your copy and learn more about Hector Camacho, one of the more popular fighters of his time. From the Hamilcar Publications website, you should be able to navigate to most purchasing options. But please also visit HannibalBoxing.com for great boxing writing and click on podcasts toward the top of the page to scroll through them on the website. While there, sign up for the excellent Hannibal Boxing newsletter for exclusive writing content and discount codes. As for me, I'm Patrick Connor. Thank you so much for listening.